0: And welcome to the Onside Kick Family Hour. This is SB Nation's NFL podcast. For those of you who are just joining us, that's the National Football League. It's professional football. <laughs> With me, as always, Danny Kelly and Stephen White. How are you guys doing today?
1: Doing well. Doing awesome.
0: All right. You're not nobody. Nobody on this call is snowed in. I just want to say to our East Coast <laughs> listeners, we're, we're here for you. Swing by, read some football, hit us up on Twitter to talk football because we know y'all are going to be snowed in this weekend and maybe beyond that.
1: So, um, yeah, you know, I'm just down here chilling 77-degree weather. <laughs> but I really feel bad for you guys and hope you get your milk and your bread before all the snow comes in.
2: Yeah, and I'm in temperate west coast, 45 degrees and, and kind of rainy. Man. As for... Every day of the winter
0: <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of the country and it's just cold and there's just enough snow to make it sort of miserable outside but not enough snow to like you know <laughs> take to buy up as much cheese as you can carry in your car or anything like that. <laughs> so that's always curious It's like I, you know I eat cheese, I like cheese I enjoy cheese but like why is it when a snowstorm comes people feel the need to like buy Nothing but, like, all, like, a month's worth of cheese. Like, are you really going to have that much? I mean, I guess you got grilled cheese and, like, easy stuff like that. Tacos, maybe. I don't know. But Is
2: that the thing? There's a cheese shortage?
0: Somebody was, like, they were showing pictures of, like, the supermarkets in D.C. And, like, the cheese aisle was just, like,
1: (laughs) gone. Like, nothing. See, go over a couple aisles, though. You'll notice that the wine is also gone, too. (laughs) Go ahead and say that's probably a correlation there. (laughs)
0: well i'd be lying if i said i didn't prepare and and one thing i had to do this morning in the midst of all the other like work stuff going on like i had to go get pizza stuff and beer (laughs) just in case at ice we get any ice or anything like that tonight it's like hey i've got pizza and beer i'm gonna be okay
2: that's really all you need yeah
0: yeah i I feel like as long as you've got the staples the pantry staples you're gonna be all right Speaking of pantry staples, I don't have a good segue from pantry staples to anything that's going on in the NFL right now, but Chip Kelly is the new San Francisco 49ers head coach. He has assured us that he is not crazy. So I guess if you're a Niners fan after Jim Harbaugh and Jim Tomsula, you've at least got that to hang on to. What'd you guys think of the the chip Kelly hire and then the subsequent press conference that he gave?
2: Well, I think it was I think it's definitely going to be a fun thing to watch. Um, You know, it makes the NFC West more interesting for me just because, you know, I think Jim Tomsula was probably about the most boring hire you could imagine last year. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, getting Chip Kelly in here is going to be fun, Um, you know, seeing how they change the offense, seeing how he assembles his his coaching staff, see how he assembles his roster, you know, if they're going to be. Uh, a lot of big changes on on offense and and obviously the quarterback question is huge so there's just a lot of really interesting things that go along with it i didn't think i didn't think anything was too surprising from his press conference uh we were kind of talking about it before the show like he didn't particularly think he did anything wrong in philly which i kind of thought he might that kind of i thought that might be the kind of attack he takes but yeah i I, overall it, it makes san francisco way more interesting that's that's the bottom line for me
0: yeah, more interesting—that's for sure. Steven, you—you you, you mentioned you talked about the press conference a little bit before the before we officially started the program here. What was your impression? Takeaway from it?
1: Well, you know, guys always kind of try to win the press conference, so to speak, and I think he said enough positive things in that, but I also think he kind of maybe actually started seeding some. Uh, I guess maybe people aren't as high on him anymore as they used to be. Like uh, I think a lot of people were expecting him to be a lot more, uh, I don't know, introspective or uh, even maybe even apologetic about some of the things that went on in Philly. And he obviously is having none of that. You know, he, he, as Danny kind of alluded to, uh, kind of the, the common refrain I saw was everybody was saying, well, he obviously doesn't think he did anything wrong. And look, you get another job that fast, why would you think he did something wrong? You think, hey man, it was wrong for me." And look, he did have success the first couple of years um, and so in his mind, maybe he feels like, well, maybe just taking over the personnel part was the only thing I did wrong. And since I'm not going to have that problem here, uh, everything's going to be hunky-dory. But, look, we know that, and O's-wise, this is a good coach. Uh, you you watch the film, and you see guys running up and down the field wide open all game long. Now, why he chose, and he did choose, Sam Bradford to run that <laughs> Um Look, and then Mark Sanchez to back him up. That is, again, that's the personnel side where he really fucked up. But, uh, on... The X and O side, I don't think anybody would ever uh, kind of uh, 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 question uh, him as a coach. But And this comes back to something I talked about almost this whole season. Being a head coach in the NFL is about so much more than X's and O's. Yeah, it, It's it's more about being able to relate to these players and inspire them. And no, you don't have to be Newt Rockney or give some kind of uh, fire and brimstone speech. But at the end of the day, man, these guys have to respect you and want to go to bat for you yeah, and, and believe in what you're preaching. And we saw over those three years, time and time again, and look, you don't even have to go to the, 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 the allegations of racism and anything like that. Just time and time again, so many guys second-guessing what he was doing. And 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 it's going to be hard for him to be successful if he doesn't take a look back at that and recognize that he totally fucked that up, okay? This is a different situation. It's not college football. It's not high school football. You have to learn how to meet these grown men in the middle somewhere and get them on your side. If he can do that, I think he has a great opportunity to be successful, especially if they retain Colin Kaepernick, and let him run this offense because I think there are few quarterbacks more perfectly suited to run what Chip Kelly likes to do. I don't even think we really saw the whole package of what he wants to do in Philly because he didn't have a quarterback with that running element to him other than Michael Vick. So, uh, you you know, you got Nick Foles, (laughs) you got Sam Bradford, we really only have touched the surface of what he's probably going to be able to do with a guy like Colin Kaepernick. But if he cannot inspire those players, if he cannot reach them, it's going to be a same, the same kind of conclusion that you saw in Philly. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you know, in the roster moves he made, it was almost like, you know, I mean, obviously you look at it from just like the talent that he's bringing in and why, you know, why are you... What are you doing? Why are you making Sam Brad for the centerpiece for offense? But also, it's all you. It was like, you know, like everybody thinks they can manage a cap, but nobody actually has to. Like, you know, you don't actually have to manage the cap. I mean, it almost had that to it. You know what I mean? That, like, this is like the hobbyist version of playing salary cap with the team. But in it, in it, it, obviously, it didn't work all that great. But there's more to it. and He doesn't have to mess with that now. And maybe he's even, you know been humbled enough by that experience that he doesn't even have the desire to mess with it. But we'll see what, we'll see what happens with that. Do you
2: think he's, do you think he's the kind of guy that can like delegate that kind of stuff? I think there was some question of whether he was a little power crazy in Philly, you know, with the whole coup thing where they took over personnel and everything. Do you think it's a case where he maybe wasn't very good at delegating that kind of stuff?
0: I'd always got the sense, you know, from the outside looking in that they just, that you know, Lurie just kind of turned it all over to him. Yeah. I mean, say, here you just take the keys and, and you run it. I mean, he kind of organized that, I mean, for lack of a better word, the coup kind of in that front office <laughs> and got his guys in there. And it all kind of went back to when they fired Tom Gamble, who was his in his in Kelly's camp, was a personnel guy in Philly. Who was then? That was in 2014, and who has since been hired by the 49ers, which is kind of an interesting thing that he's got one of his tight personnel people already in the building in San Francisco before before they even you know considered hiring and firing Jim Tomsula. Tom Sula. Tom mm-hmm. Gamble was there, so that's kind of an interesting play there. So maybe he feels to a certain extent comfortable with all that there. Yeah, and like Stephen said, you know he's got a quarterback there. I mean, a quarterback that needs some work but has a lot more talent than any other quarterback he's ever worked with in the NFL. Yeah,
2: the Chip Kelly thing is, like, for me it was interesting because on one hand it seems like there's a high degree or a high probability of just blowing up because of the personalities in the front office there with with Balky and Jed York and everything and and how everything went down with Jim Harbaugh. But at the same time, you know, from an NFC West perspective, it's kind of like, oh, 49ers could be really relevant again now, based on you know having Chip Kelly in there, X's and O's wise. So I think you know there's it's a it's one of those things where as long as they can get along in the front office, which is a huge question mark, um, I think it has a high probability of being a pretty cool situation for for San Francisco.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. Since the Kelly thing, I know we talked about that a little bit last week. Um, there were a couple. All the coaching, all the head coaching jobs are filled now. Mm-hmm. So here, the the Eagles hired Doug Peterson, who was the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs, and I think his resume, um, as far as what he did with Kansas City's offense, was pretty solid. Until you go back to that game last weekend, and you, and and it was revealed that he was the one calling the plays on that um, the eight Andy Reid's eight minute version of the two minute offense,
3: <laughs>
0: or six minutes, I guess, if we're being to be more charitable. So what are you, I want to get your all's thoughts on that, that, and the, the Philadelphia Eagles have essentially kind of gone back to the Andy
1: Reid era.
2: Yeah, that is well, kind of an interesting thing. Go, go ahead, Stephen. Ahead,
1: well, it, it, it's interesting. And in a lot of ways, it makes sense because look, <laughs> the Eagles haven't had an era of prosperity, like what they had with Andy Reid ever. And I don't really think it's, it's even close. And so, you you, 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 ha- you tried this experiment with with the college guy and, and, and it ends up blowing up on you. It kind of makes sense to to go back to what was working before. Yeah. Now I don't know that that they're really all that similar. And look, <laughs> it was kind of funny to me because Peterson made it clear when he was asked about it that hey, we could have went faster. Now this is Andy Reid. You know, he <laughs> told me he said. Go slow. If he want to speed up, I'd have sped it up. So, you know, he kind of made it clear that it wasn't really his decision yeah. on, on how they kind of approach that last two-minute drill. But the, it's that two-minute drill. It just perfectly encapsulates for everyone why they would be a little bit leery of getting a uh, uh, Andy Reid uh, disciple because for all the good that Andy Reid has done, Uh, In Philly and now in Kansas City, it seems like in big moments he always comes up with these ridiculous ass uh, uh, approaches. Uh, His his, uh, uh, clock management, all of that just always seems to come into question in really big games at really big times. And now you got a guy who's basically, again, Andy Reid Light. And you got to wonder if that's going to rub off on him. So, you know, you got to kind of take the good with the bad, I suppose. You you want the consistency and the kind of offense that Andy Reid runs. But you got to hope that Andy Peterson has a little bit better uh, uh, um, handle on how to approach those situations in big games.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and you know he's new enough. He's not maybe he's not as set in his ways either. You know, with some guys that have been around for you know have coached for so long. I mean, Andy Reid's approach, Andy Reid's going to be comfortable in his approach because he's always he's done it for decades. You know, literally decades. So I don't know. It's interesting, hire. I'll be anxious to see how it works out. It's kind of funny. I mean, it's like going back to, you know you tried to be a vegetarian for a while and then you went went right back and got a, you know, a, a medium rare steak or something like that. <laughs> I don't know if that's the best analogy or not, but something like that. I have a dirtier one, but I'm going to keep this podcast R-rated. <laughs> <laughs> um Danny, any thoughts on the Doug Peterson hire in Philly?
2: I mean, I don't really know a ton about Doug Peterson to be honest. Um he was kind of not anybody that i feel like that we'd heard about before it kind of went down you know he he wasn't one of the the usual suspects in terms of the guys that people were all mentioning as as people that might get hired so i don't know a ton about him obviously what he was able to do with alex smith and and macklin this year uh you know was was good and their offense definitely did kind of take a turn for the better and obviously losing jamal charles didn't seem to be that big of an impact so he has that kind of on his resume and everything but uh yeah, I don't know a ton about him in terms of how he's going to run a franchise cuz like we were talking about earlier with Chip Kelly, I think being a being the head coach is kind of like being the CEO. You have to be you have to be good at a lot of stuff. You have to be kind of that charismatic leader. You have to get people to buy in. It's kind of more um it's more than just Xs and Os. So, that's obviously a big question mark in terms of what how he can do that because um yeah, you know, I don't I don't know a ton about him like from that point of view. So, Right. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of withholding judgment on that one, just based on my lack of knowledge of him as as who, what kind of leader he is, and all that. Because I think that's kind of important in in being a head coach. And so, I mean, it's kind of the same for a lot of these guys, like you know Ben McAdoo and uh, you know Dirk Cotter, and you know it's just kind of kind of the same deal. I, I don't really know exactly how that transition goes, and, and that's the story of. Like, you know, coordinators going to head coaches. Some of them work, some of them don't.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you never know, too. I mean, it, it, until you see, I mean, these are new. You know, this is Doug Peterson's first head coaching job. It's not like, yeah. say, <coughs> Mike <coughs> Malarkey. Yeah, have we talked about that. You kind of know what you're going to get. I was just going to say, <laughs> how's that for an exciting coaching hire? If you're the Tennessee Titans, you brought in Mike Malarkey.
2: that the most Titans choice ever?
1: I mean, the guy has both the most unfortunate and most appropriate last name of all the (laughs) victims I've ever seen in my life. So, uh, yeah, that is definitely 100% a titan's move right there, uh, hiring Mike Malarkey. And look, here's how just ridiculous that hire is. I didn't even think about this till yesterday, but did they even contact
0: Chip Kelly? I, you, you may, it makes you wonder. I mean, it really does. Or if maybe they did and <laughs> Kelly didn't want anything to do with it because, you know, maybe the ownership situation because of where it's at is, is kind of a disaster. But I don't know. But
1: you would think that if they did, we would certainly have heard about it, right? Yeah. Even, if, even though Chip Kelly didn't uh, uh, want to sign on, you, you would think that the Titans would leak it so they would let their fan base know, look, we tried. Yeah. You just right, couldn't get him right. here. But, and look, I said before, I, I didn't really necessarily think Chip Kelly was the right guy for Tennessee. Of course, I didn't know at the time until Coney ended up making Malarkey. But uh, how do you not just, I mean, it seemed like a no brainer to at least contact the guy. He coached your franchise quarterback <laughs> in college. Like, how? <laughs> but- how do you not interview this guy? How do you at least not try to interview this guy? Look, I thought Hugh Jackson would have been a better hire there. I don't think they contacted him either. And so how is it? Now, now I, 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 this is a rhetorical question because uh, Rooney Rule v. Damn, their their owner evidently said <laughs> either at a press conference or to a reporter that she knew she was hiring Mike Malarkey regardless. But how do you make that fucking decision? Like, how much wine were you drinking that night when you said, man, fuck this, we're going with Mike Malarkey?
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and there was actually some, I was just looking back, there was some criticism, like the Titans. Apparently, there was not, at least publicly, an interest in Chip Kelly, which just seems crazy. I mean, like you heard Josh McDaniels was a candidate for a while, which not a surprise. Everybody kind of talked about him, and nobody actually really did anything with him. But, yeah, it just it just seems like they just went with, for some reason, decided to say fuck it and who cares, we're just going to keep Mike Malarkey and give him a three-year contract instead of a four-year contract. It's the most confusing thing, and you look at him mm. and it's like, what did he do that so impressed you? I mean, he won two games. Now, I know well, it wasn't the most talented roster in the NFL by any means, but... At the same now,
1: wasn't, time. Wasn't he the offensive line coach before the head coach got fired or something like that? What I do know is he, he, was, OC, all this, I think. he was talking all this noise about, oh, well, we're going to figure out how to protect Mariota when he took over as interim head coach. Didn't really do much of a better job protecting Mariota, which is probably why Mariota ended up on, you know, injured uh, at yeah. the end of the year. So. Um, you know, that seemed to be the number one thing he said he was going to change when Wizard, when Wizard Hunt got fired. And that didn't really happen. But somehow, <laughs> somehow, they still looked at that body of work and said, man, that is the right guy for this job.
0: <laughs> was he, I mean, did he even last one season in Jacksonville or two? Did he make it two seasons in Jacksonville? No, he, one season in Jacksonville, 2012.
2: Damn. He, has, he has an 18 and 39 career coaching record. <laughs>
0: he's not even, that's like.
2: He's sub, he's sub, he's sub Fisher,
0: man. He's not even close <laughs> to Fisher. He's like below said, the
1: Fisher line. <laughs> like I said, an appropriate last name. Unfortunate, but appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> that's did you like hear, one, one you of those last PFT?
0: names PFT Commoner would say something. He did. He said
2: Mike, Mike Malarkey literally means loud bullshit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my god i think all the other coaching hires we kind of like you know like we knew that the cotter thing was they finally made it official after our last podcast are you i mean was that a surprise steven
1: well no remember i said that it had to be him because yeah. uh even yeah. though I, I didn't agree with the decision of how Levy. Uh, the only way it made sense at all was if they were doing it to keep him. Now, ultimately, it looks pretty fucking stupid in hindsight because he still had two other interviews, and both of those teams said no thanks. So maybe he wasn't the hot commodity that the Bucks thought he was in the first fucking place. But look, they did it now, and somehow, somehow, a year after Carter and Mike Smith get their asses thrown out of Atlanta, Because because, uh, the the Falcons owner was just fed up with them. They end up uh, in Tampa running the show down here. So, hey, man, we'll see. Maybe it'll work out better here than it did there. I'm not exactly sure why anybody would expect that, but we'll see.
0: Yeah, that's the big one. They hired the Mike Smith hired to bring in Mike Smith to be the defensive coordinator there. Which, uh, any of the coordinator hires stand out? I mean, I, I know not every team has filled out their coordinator spots yet, but I saw Frank Reich in, is the OC in Philly. Um, it sounds like the 49ers are strongly considering Mike Verbreel for the uh, DC position there. I don't Any of these, and do any of the coordinator hires stand out to you as either incredibly brilliant or incredibly terrible?
1: I absolutely love what they're doing in Cleveland right now, and, and it's, it feels so fucking weird to say that. Yeah, I swear <laughs> it really does. Um, but we know that Hugh is going to call the plays there, but he's brought on Al Saunders, and we know uh, he 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 has a great offensive mind. And then uh, he he hired uh, the the DC Ray Horton uh, Tennessee Ray Horton from from Tennessee, and, and really. You know, people were going to look at it, the fact that he was with the Titans, but, you know, they brought in Dick LeBeau basically to look over his shoulder last year, and you could just tell that there wasn't a great situation, I don't think, for either guy. Uh, yeah. That, that defense, it just didn't even look uh, anything like we're used to seeing from Ray Horton. On the other hand, in Cleveland, they have pretty much the exact right talent for what he likes to do. He likes to blitz a lot. He likes to play a lot of man. And you know when they get their corners back healthy, which was a huge problem this year. Look, (laughs) it's hard as hell for me to actually say this, but I really think if they give Hugh a you know three years, three years from now, we're going to be looking up and saying, "Hey man, the Browns just won the damn uh uh their 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 division."
0: Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, it's funny because the Browns are paying Ray Horton part of Ray Horton's salary anyway because they fired him because they'd hired him as a defensive coordinator in 2013 under, uh, that was the year they had Chudzinski as the head coach. And, and so they were paying his salary anyway, so they brought him on. So they might as well, I guess you might as well hire him.
1: <laughs> but, uh, Actually, well, right. Uh, something else that was weird about that situation. Did y'all see the stuff with um, the guy from the Fritz Pollard Alliance? Yes. Uh, what is his name? Mr. Wooten. Mr. Yeah. Wooten, I actually know because he was in the front office uh, when I was drafted by the Eagles. As a matter of fact, I kind of got the feeling that he was the guy that pressed them to draft me late, you know, in the sixth round. He was in the personnel side, and so like when I got there, uh, he was always always on my ass trying to get me to, you know, play better. I was playing linebacker out of position, uh, but he was he made me like even more nervous than anybody else. I'm trying to perform, and then every day at lunch, they're like, hey, you got to get better. You got to do this. And So uh, I'm not really a huge fan of his anyway. But he almost, to me, you know, reading between the lines, he almost fucked up Ray Horton's job for a yeah. second. Because he came out and said that Ray Horton was offended and insulted and, that you know, telling all that happened in, in, in the interview with the Titans and... You know, the Titans' owner didn't even really expect him to want to be the head coach. Like, stuff is not really ever supposed to come out, even leaked. He's saying it and putting his name on it and putting Ray Horton's name on it when Ray Horton was still under contract to the Titans. Like, he was like, "Yeah, he's going to be the Browns' defensive coordinator," and Ray Horton had to come back out and say, no, "No, no, 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 I didn't say none of that. Uh, I'm still under contract with the Titans, and, and, and look, we, we might, I might still end up coaching there." And I just got to wonder behind the scenes were the Titans threatening Ray Horton uh, uh, to make him under his contract when they heard those comments. I I really was kind of totally, I, I don't think the story blew up the way it could have, but when I read those words and then I saw Ray Horton come behind that and kind of try to put out the fire, I was like, man, he he might've almost missed that guy's job up. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, because, I mean, look how quickly Ray Horton came back. I mean, as soon as that got out, Horton was out saying, no, I never said that, which understandably
1: so. Right, and ultimately we see that he did leave, obviously, so it it probably was all true, but you can't come out and give up the, the details of a meeting like that. No. He was very insulted, and the owner said this, and he said this back. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah.
0: That yeah, was strange, 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 strange situation, and it was really a fairly quiet coaching carousel until that. I mean, as far as some of the those kind of rumors go, you know. But I don't know. That's that was that was a, that was a weird one. But I think he's a good. The to the Browns thing, if they can, if if Haslam can, to me, if Haslam stays the fuck out of the way, <laughs> and doesn't trip over this and doesn't get pissed because they don't go fight they don't start the season 4 and 0 or anything. Then I think they've got something special there. They've made it seems like to me they've made the right moves.
2: Yeah, I agree with that.
0: I mean, and even the front office hires that they made, the personnel guys. Now I don't know a lot about them, but I mean, it seems like it's kind of it's it it's it's I know it, there's the awkward part about well these guys were sort of in you know, one was in the baseball world, Dave Podesta, with the Mets most recently, and then the guy that they brought from the Jaguars over. But, I mean, you know, there's sort of an inspired component to that. Like I, but I still think it's just a matter of if, if Jimmy Haslam can keep his head out of the way, then they might make it work there. Well, I have a question related to that, related to the Hugh Jackson hire, because I think the Hugh Jackson, we all agree that was a pretty good hire. And we saw in Minnesota this year that the Mike Zimmer hire was really a good move for the Vikings. What's going to happen to the Bengals without, you know? Right. I mean, it, it seems like they they lost some pretty key assistants here, and, and they're in a situation now, too, where there's, you know, they finished the games with some questions about the coaching staff for the way that their season ended against Pittsburgh in that game. Um, you know, you're moving on to another offensive coordinator now for Andy Dalton. It's a... Uh, it's kind of a it's a weird thing for the Bengals. Is this going to hurt the Bengals?
2: I think when you have that much turnover, you know, it, it's got to hurt a little bit. I think we kind of saw that with the Seahawks. They've lost two defensive coordinators over the last, like, three or four years, too. And, you know, Chris Richard, I think, kind of struggled in the early part of the season in picking up that role. And so, you know, you could see kind of you could see the effect of that next year, I think. You know, plus it's just always tough for a quarterback who loses a coordinator and has to kind of like redevelop a a relationship with them and, and, you know, potentially have a change playbook and all that. So I think, yeah, it's definitely, you know, a concern. And when you, when you have that much turnover in the front office or in the coaching staff, it's definitely something that teams tend to feel.
0: And they promoted Ken Zampezi, who is the quarterback's coach to be the offensive coordinator, which probably makes it a little easier, at least for Dalton's sake. But I mean, The way Hugh Jackson called the plays, I just don't know. I mean,
2: if calling is kind of an art.
0: Yeah. And the adaptability that he had, I think, was really something that, you know, we've talked about this many, many, many times here. It's just like he was never one of those guys that tried to force his players into his system. You know what I mean? As opposed to the coach that says it's my system or nothing, you
1: know? Yep. Now, let's not forget that this is two in a row. Yeah. Because you had Jay Gruden before Hugh, and now they're both gone. Yeah. So, you know, you go down the line, I, I'm going to assume that uh, this Zampezi guy is you know, another one of these uh, Zampezi's that's been in coaching for a long time uh, in the NFL. And so at least the name kind of sounds like he has a pretty yeah. good pedigree. But you just don't know because, uh, you know, like y'all said, it's an art form. Jay Gruden called a little bit different game from Hugh Jackson, and now he's is going to call a little bit different game from Hugh from Hugh Jackson. And then on the other side of the ball, uh, one of the key losses, I think, as far as coaching go, they they lost their defensive line coach. I'm not even sure why that happened, but it happened. And uh he's actually down here now with Tampa. Yeah. Uh, I will say that that's one the one hire that I can unequivocally uh kind of uh uh support or or, or endorse because uh Jay Hayes has, has done a magnificent job for the Bengals over the last shit, I don't know, six, seven years. And, and those guys, when you look at Carlos Dunlap and you look at Geno Atkins and, and Michael Johnson, he groomed all those guys. Uh, to be what they are today. They didn't come to him ready made. Most of those guys came, uh, you know, from draft hicks or whatever, or, or as young guys. So uh, that defensive line with the Bengals, he groomed them. And now he's gone too. So uh, they have had a lot of staff turnovers. It's kind of funny because when you think about stuff like that, you don't really think about the Bengals out of all teams yeah. to have a, 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 a whole bunch of coaches um, in demand. But – you know, evidently that, 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 that is the case. They, <laughs> Marvin Lewis quietly is putting together a pretty good coaching tree. Yeah, he really is. Yeah.
0: And I guess that's some credit, due to, you know, that he's – and I know the criticism of Marvin, Marvin Lewis, and I certainly understand it, you know, with their record in the playoffs and stuff. But, you know, there's some testament to the longevity factor there, too. At
2: least, yeah. Is he he One of, is he the longest tenured now, or second longest one tenured one behind Belichick? Belichick? Yeah. Right, right.
0: That's a pretty good. Uh, yeah, that's a pretty good. Um. Speaking of Belichick, why do you think none? Of, I, it's kind of curious. All of like McDaniel's was the hot candidate and nobody hired him, and then you heard Matt Patricia get talked about as a hot candidate and nobody hired him, and it really never seemed to sort of get beyond the rumor thing. I guess that those guys were just happy to stay in New England.
2: That's a good question. I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, maybe McDaniel's previous stint as a head coach hurt him. I don't know. The man who
0: unleashed Tebow on the, on the NFL?
2: <laughs> People aren't going to forgive you for that. <laughs>
0: Tebow.
1: I think I, I think I read somewhere that Matt Patricia had a good interview, but maybe he didn't seem all that uh, enthusiastic about whichever team it was that was interviewing him. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it might have been at least with him, his choice that you know maybe this wasn't the best situation. And look, some guys have uh, 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 that kind of privilege mm-hmm. to, to be able to turn down jobs, uh, and 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 it it kind of goes back to uh, my old defensive line coach Rod Marinelli, and, and me watching him kind of uh, get screwed, quite honestly, down here in Tampa, they wouldn't let him out of his contract uh, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: when when Coach Dungeon first uh, was fired. And so he was going to go and be a defense coordinator uh, with Lovey right away. They wouldn't let him out of his contract. Never would. Like, two or three years later, finally his contract expired. But by that time, like, they had changed the rules where you couldn't just go away. Like, you couldn't go from a position coach to uh, a coordinator position uh, unless the the team gave you permission. Like it used to be that there were three different classifications of coaches. They used to be head coaches, coordinators, and position coaches. And then somewhere along the line, uh, they changed it to basically just two uh, classifications. So if you are assistant coach, you can uh, go and, 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 Uh, interview for a head coaching job without the team's permission, but you can't go for a a coordinator position like that. So he never got to be a coordinator. And so his only option was to leave as a head coach. He ends up going to Detroit because that was the only place he could go. And and we know what happened after that. Mm -hmm. But when you have, you know, when you're in a situation that's great, like Patricia is in, in, in New England, like he can coach there forever right, I don't think Belichick's ever going to get rid of him. Um, then you can kind of be a lot more picky about where you end up going. And those guys end up, to me, being in much better situations and much better set up for success than guys who are kind of desperate to get out of assistant coach mode and go back to being a head coach. Uh, that, that's kind of a little bit why I'm um, still, even now, a little bit uh, leery of of, of Hugh Jackson in in Cleveland Mm -hmm. because I just wonder if he could have gotten a better situation somewhere else had he been a little bit more patient. But, you know, Hugh's been a head coach before, and he wanted to be a head coach again. And so I can understand why, too, he might have started being a little bit impatient. With Matt Patricia, I think this is like the first year we've even heard of him being associated with any head coaching jobs, I think. Yeah. And so he's got time, you know, he's a younger guy. He's got time. He can be a little bit more picky in that situation. And, you know, as far as Josh McDaniels, I just think that uh, people, like I said, people are not going to forget his time at Denver anytime soon.
3: No. no matter
1: how well Brady does. Look, Brady has done well with Charlie Weiss and, and Bill O'Brien and all these other coaches, too. And none of these guys have exactly set the world on fire when they became head coach. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. So uh, maybe, it's, maybe people have finally figured out, look, this is Tom Brady's offense. It's, it's not really whoever they give the offensive coordinator title to. And so unless we can hire Tom Brady as a head coach, maybe we don't need to hire one of these guys.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say, man, how long do you think uh... – how much money do you think Tom Brady made Charlie Weiss for his career, coaching career?
1: I mean, doesn't he have like three different teams playing him right now still? <laughs> uh, well, Kansas even in the NFL Kansas, or college? I'm or talking both. both. <laughs> I think Kansas, maybe even Notre Dame is still playing him. Jesus. All these damn teams. Oh man, I I yeah.
0: I, I wouldn't be. Surprised. He's actually coaching
1: the, the East West Shrine game down here right oh, now. Man, like you know, the East West Shrine games this week. He's a head coach, <laughs> and he was on. The, he was giving every interview saying he had no interest in getting back in the coaching. I'm like, shit, I guess not? You done made all the damn money. <laughs> Why work if you can get paid for not working? Seriously, I guess that's I <laughs> just work one, one week a year coaching the damn All Star game, and them them checks still coming in. <laughs> well and two you know i wonder a little bit
0: about with new england like if there's a succession plan there too you know if these guys see like hey belichick's not going to be here forever right but maybe he will be i mean he might very well be this is will be his i think this is going to be belichick's 10th afc championship game Jeez, with the patriots that's, that sounds right. I think it's Brady's ten, so I'm assuming if it's Brady's tenth, it would be Belichick's ten. <laughs> but that's pretty amazing. So let's do, let's do get into the games now <clears throat> because I think we've got, I mean, there's not just been a lot of chatter outside of the Broncos' locker room at any rate about the games this week, and I think they're, uh, it's, you know, you've got two pretty good matchups, the best, really probably the best matchups you could have hoped for, they're the one and two seeds in yeah. each conference cardinals and the panthers and the nfc they're the late the the six o'clock game on sunday and then the afc is the patriots and broncos so here's an interesting stat and i know it's all about manning and brady and obviously there's a lot more than that but uh um brady hasn't won at denver since uh tim tebow and danny cannell were playing quarterback for the broncos which i thought was kind of an interesting stat because the perception how many times have they played? Yeah, I mean, it's not just a ton, but, you know, he's played Manning a few times in Denver, so.
2: <laughs> the uh, old Manning, though.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, let's start with that game. Where Let's go. Steven, your thoughts on the AFC, your big-picture view on the AFC championship game.
1: Well, for me, the big picture goes back to this past weekend uh, with, the, with the Broncos being the Steelers. And, look, when, when I watched that game live, uh, I was a little under the weather, so <laughs> that might have clouded my judgment. I wasn't really all that impressed with uh, Peyton Manning. I, I thought that, you know, maybe he played a little bit better than he had in the regular season, but but not all, all that much. But then when I went back and watched the film, I'm like, this guy actually made some really nice throws. He had a, a ton of drops. I think they had like eight drops on the day. And if those balls aren't dropped, and most of them weren't hard passes at all, they were, like, easy. I mean, it, it, he would have had a really nice day throwing the football uh, as far as statistically as it was just, like, the last – it wasn't the last throw. But um, it was, like, late in the game, and he, he throws this ball to, shit, a guy I barely even have heard of, you know, on their team. I think it's number 14. And that was like a dime. That, that was vintage Manning right there. And I'm like, he threw it right out, uh, uh, into that guy's outstretched hands, too far for the DB to be able to uh, make a play on the football. The defensive back couldn't make the tackle, and then the guy gets like 31 yards up the field. And I'm like, hmm, maybe he was hurt most of this season. Maybe that rest and being on the bench and, and resting his foot and everything else kind of has rejuvenated him a little bit. And I think that got me to thinking really big picture because look, I think we kind of got spoiled watching Manning in a dome for so long in Indiana. Yeah. And and where you, you look and you say, Oh man, his his arm strength is gone. When in reality, whenever he played outside in the playoffs in Indy, he seemed to struggle. Like, his balls would flutter, and we would talk about you know, uh, whether he was choking or something like that. And so I, I come back to this. Maybe this is who he always was. Maybe he was so good in the dome, but weather was always going to affect his throws. But he's still good enough to get the job done now. Like the men we saw earlier this season that was throwing all those interceptions – that's not who I saw on film Sunday. Yeah. I saw the guy look more like maybe the guy who struggled a little bit uh, when he was in the, in Indianapolis outside but still could get the job done. So um, I was all ready to pick the Patriots in this game, to be quite honest with you. I just didn't see how the Broncos could score enough, possibly, to keep up with the Patriots, even with their own outstanding defense. But now... As long as their receivers come to play and those guys, you know, aren't dropping stuff left and right, and particularly uh Demarius Thomas, I think he needs to have a big game, but I'm actually leaning a lot more towards the Broncos now and I've picked the Broncos to win. Interesting.
0: Because that's, I mean, you know, the, I, you forget about that. And I, I was looking, I was trying to find that number yesterday, but it's one of the, drops are one of those stats that are kind of hard to pin down. But, I mean, somebody said during the game in the first half, receivers had an unofficial total of five drops. And that's huge because I think the record mm-hmm. is six drops in a game.
1: It's just. Well, the I, heard, I kept hearing it was eight, and it was at least oh. six. That I saw for myself on film, but it was, it was probably at least six to eight. Well,
0: yeah, and because I mean, Manning finished that game and his stats were okay. I mean, they were fine, but, you know, you, you think about it, if they hadn't dropped all those passes, what they would have been. Because those were catchable balls. I mean, you, they wouldn't be graded as a drop in most cases if, if they were something that the receiver could catch. I mean, go back to the Demarius Thomas one right at the beginning of the game.
1: And then the one to the running back, too. And in several yeah. of them were on third down where they would have extended their drive and maybe allowed him to get some more passes off. Yeah, and, and it
0: wasn't like they were throwing short of the sticks on third down either. I mean, they weren't running the Alex Smith offense with Peyton Manning. And for all you've heard about Peyton Manning, as the season's gone along, you sort of went into that game expecting that, you know. Um, you know, another thing, I look, when I look at this game, it's hard not to look at, too, the Broncos' pass rush against mm-hmm. what is not a very good right now set, system of pass protection that the Patriots have in place. And the Broncos are really good at defense this season, and you've got Von Miller, and you've got—I mean—you've got guys that can really, you know, have a knack for getting after the passer like that. And that seems like that yeah. could be kind of a, a key matchup there. Danny, you look at these—you look at this part of the breakdown in this game. What do you see here?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the the pass rush for me is the big thing, and, and uh, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. I think I heard last week that the Chiefs didn't hit Brady. Uh, for some reason, the Chiefs pass rush just really disappeared last week, even against the Patriots offensive line, which is you know um, had a lot of injuries. And, and they've—I think I saw somewhere—they've had like 31 different line combinations this year, or something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, obviously, to me, the big matchup is that pass rush. You know, Von Miller coming off the edge—can they protect Brady? Can they keep him upright long enough to have him get the ball out? Obviously, you know, over his career, he's always been really good at at getting the ball out quickly and 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 avoiding the pass rush because of that you know he's obviously not a mobile quarterback but he's still done a really good job of finding receivers and so you know that to me is the big the big you know thing to watch because if they can get consistent pressure on him and force him into some mistakes then that could be big and that's kind of what they've done all year then they have three really good corners obviously and so the combining their their defensive backs with their pass rushes is why they've been so good obviously they have, they actually have a couple of really good linebackers too so that defense is just really stacked and uh yeah and so if they can give if they can give the patriots trouble up front that could be the big difference in the game in my mind um so obviously uh that that'll be kind of the thing i'm watching yeah
0: for sure what uh what are some of the uh, the other parts of this game when you look at these two the matchups here what else are you looking at
1: Um, for me, I, I think that it, it's incumbent, really, on both teams to run the football this week. Uh, I think uh, that was definitely uh, an underrated part of the Broncos' win last week. Uh, they got uh, C.J. going and, and Hillman as well, to a lesser extent. And, uh, look, the, the Broncos, I mean, I'm sorry, the Patriots now have Steven Jackson in the hold, And they got him kind of going a little bit on short yardage stuff. Uh, last week against the Chiefs. And, and they also have James White, who is kind of a scat-back type guy, sneaky fast out of the backfield, uh, who's going to be a factor as well. And so the the, the the best way to kind of mitigate a pass rush, and look, the the, the, the Patriots can get out to the pasture too, is to run the football. They are mm-hmm. both are going to have to use that to slow down that fast rush, the Patriots especially, because uh, uh, like Danny alluded to, man, the, the Broncos, to me, last week didn't really let it loose as fast rushers because they were a little bit worried about being stepping up in the pocket and, and being mobile. When you know a guy is going to be a statue, and, and Tom Brady has great functional mobility, he knows how to feel the rush, but he is still a statue in the pocket, those guys can go ahead and tee off. And the only way, well, not the only way, but the best way to get them to slow down a little bit is to get the you know get to run the football, run some draws, uh, run some screens, and get those guys to be a little bit more hesitant. But if you can't run the football, we know, look, I think the Patriots came out and, and threw the ball on like their first yeah. two drives or something last week. They had and one they had, throw in they, the
2: first half, or the first quarter.
1: Right, uh, now... They, they, they had the luxury of doing it, to, to, in my opinion, because Justin Houston wasn't wasn't out there. Uh, he didn't feel good. He only played like eight snaps the whole game. Um, but yeah. it's going to be a different deal when you got Von Miller and uh, uh, Demarcus Ware come from on the other side, and you got some good interior rushers like Derek Wolf and, and 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 the kid out of Tennessee. Uh, those guys can really get out there. Antonio Smith you have got to to find a way to slow those guys down. And the easiest way to me is run the football. So I wouldn't say that the the team that gets the most rushing yards is going to win or something like that. But if the Patriots can't run the football this week, I think you're going to see a much different result from last week. Yeah. Danny?
2: Yeah, I mean, I totally totally agree. I mean, if you're going to, you know, obviously they're not going to find – offensive linemen all of a sudden this week that are that are really really you know good at pass <laughs> pass pro so you have to kind of scheme around and i think that that he said it perfectly in terms of you do a lot of screen passes you try and get them to to think twice about like you know coming all all out balls to the wall in terms of the pass rush and you know brady and belichick are smart enough to do that stuff and i think you know they've been doing it forever so um yeah i mean that's that's the route they have to go and and um you know, I think the other matchup to watch is obviously Gronkowski on whoever they end up trying to, yeah. to match him up with. You know, he's all. Yeah, that's kind of like you could say that for every Patriots game ever, probably. <laughs> but, but I mean, honestly, like he's 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 the best <laughs> tight end in the league, and, and you know he's going to be a big part of that game plan, I'm sure. And so, you know, especially with kind of the Broncos talking trash about how he pushes off and everything, kind of the pre the pregame hype around that, that should be pretty interesting to see kind of what happens with how they end up using him. And, and and yeah, he's just, he's all over the place. You know, he lines up in the slot, he lines up in line. They put him all the way outside sometimes if, if the matchup dictates that. So, um, I mean, I think that's obviously going to be one to watch. It's a big deal. And, and, you know, that's, that's not breaking new ground, obviously, but, but (laughs) yeah, gotta watch Gronk.
0: Absolutely. The low blows thing. That's been like the the sum total of trash talk this week too. the low blows. (laughs) gronk's low blows tweet yeah uh, they, these teams are gonna have to step it up what kind of what kind of world are we living in where the where the media has neutered players to this extent <laughs> um let's see let's go to the nfc game because that is obviously yeah that's another big matchup that everybody you know is really kind of focusing on carson palmer versus cam newton Two you know probably the one and two guys for the mvp award this year uh, and mm-hmm. so it's sort of neck and neck so it's you know makes sense that people would focus on them but there are a lot of other interesting matchups in this game too and we've talked about the Panthers all season just being able to find offense in the most unlikeliest of places and uh th- that hasn't really changed that didn't change against the Seahawks sorry Danny last yeah. week and it didn't it <laughs> hasn't changed all season I don't expect it to change much this year so let's let's go to the NFC game Danny you look at these two teams what part of this game interests you the most? is the most intriguing matchup to you?
2: I mean, just coming off of the Seahawks game, the the Panthers punched the Seahawks in the face with, with their with their defensive line and with their offensive line. Um I've never seen the Seahawks get I mean, in the P Carroll era, they haven't gotten that their asses kicked that hard in the first half of a game in in four years, five years. Um so that was pretty impressive from, you know, the Panthers point of view. They they ran the ball first run was like 60 something 50 something 60 yards um they they ended up scoring on you know they they do their kind of their run game where Cam Newton counts as a runner so it's very very hard to defend um you know Cam made some amazing passes in that game too but but it started up front i think the Seahawks defensive line got got dominated up front at, at the beginning of the game they ended up kind of figuring it out later but um early on it was like they didn't have an answer and then uh, you know offensive or defensive line they were penetrating on almost every play one short was really really good in that game um, yeah I just think it starts up front so it, it you know the Cardinals haven't exactly had a great offensive line this year I think you know if they I think what the cart or what the Panthers will do is try and make the Cardinals one one-dimensional and they might succeed pretty well at doing that and then they can kind of go into their pass rush pin their ears back a little bit and um, you know try and try and hit Carson Palmer, who has struggled in the last couple of games, he he wasn't good against the Seahawks in week 17. Um, you know, he, he made some pretty terrible passes against the Packers. He ended up with a lot of passing yards and, and ultimately he had a, he had a few really great throws in that game, but I think he threw for two or three, two interceptions. He actually probably should have thrown a few more and, you know, Bruce Arians kind of chalked that up to, nerves or whatever it was because it's only his third playoff game or or whatever it is but you know kind of i think them kind of putting pressure on palmer and kind of getting him out of his game getting him psyched out a little bit will be big and i think you know they did that to russell wilson last week he threw a pick six and he threw another interception later um and that's you know that's kind of what the panthers will do the other thing that's a big factor in this game is the field because the field was really really shitty last week Um, kind of just soggy and 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 people were slipping all over the place um so that's that's a you know that's something to keep an eye on too because the panthers practice on a field like that and and obviously the the cardinals have that meticulously managed field where they you know like uh they can wheel it in and out of the stadium and, and it's like out in the desert sun and everything so i think it's just uh In my mind, most of the advantages go to the Panthers in this one. Um, Obviously, I like the Cardinals and I think they have a a really great system, and and I like how they push the ball downfield and everything. But I just the Panthers to me look just so tough. They just they punch the Seahawks in the face. I haven't seen the Seahawks get get you know up against the ropes that quickly you know in five years. So it was it was really impressive.
0: Yeah, they kind of used a game plan similar to what the Seahawks have done over the
2: years. Yeah, they Seahawked the Seahawks.
0: They really did, and just that that battle in the trenches was impressive. I thought Kwan short, the defensive lineman for the Panthers, really to me is a player who who stood out yeah like no other in that game,
2: and yeah, he was a huge factor i mean yeah. he he factored into the pick six for sure, um and then you know just they couldn't get the run game going, they couldn't get anything <laughs> going on offense in the first half i mean the c x made they made some adjustments in the second half and and managed to do okay and, but
0: Credit where credit is due. Kawan Short was on another list back in September. Stephen White's breakout players.
1: There we go. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And, uh, you know, the thing about this game to me is, uh, you know, in boxing they have that saying where styles make fights. And and that means that you, you might have a team that, that's really good, and they beat up on another team, a mm-hmm. team B, let's call them. And then team B beats up on team C. But team C is a bad matchup for team A, and they kick team A's ass. So I can see both sides of the coin for both teams on this. Because <laughs> here's the thing the Panthers, for as good as they, their defense has been this year, have a bunch of defensive backs that are hurt. Mm -hmm. And so you're playing a guy like Robert McLean, their cornerback, and he's getting toasted like, you know, all you need is a little bit of butter and maybe some jam. (laughs) The second half of that game, man, the, the, the Seahawks are giving him the business. And we all know that if the Cardinals have one thing, it's quality depth at wide receiver. It, we're all going to focus on yeah. Barrett Fitzgerald because of his big game last week. But but the truth of the matter is, Michael Floyd had two touchdowns. Only had three catches, but had two touchdowns last week against the Packers. And, and then you got the Brown brothers, Darren Jer- and John Brown. And sooner or later, one of those guys are going to be, be matched up on Robert McClain. Or, or maybe even, uh, um, um, what's his name, uh, Cortland Finnegan. And that's going to be a problem. So now it's going to be a race. Can that pass rush, pass rush you guys were referring to, which has been great all year, and I think actually might benefit uh, from, uh, uh, um, what's his name being out, or, or the, 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 the Jared Allen yeah. being, being hurt. I actually think that uh, Mario Addison and Coney Ely might give you a little bit more pass rush with, with Jared Allen out, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> but is that catchphrase going to be able to get there to Carson Palmer before he can bomb on your ass on Robert McLean or Courtland Finnegan? Mm-hmm. That's going to be a kind of back and forth the whole game. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I say styles make fights because, look, yeah, they the, uh got uh, uh, Josh Norman at one corner. Uh, and, and, and one of the, 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 the places I think they do have a good advantage is At linebacker, because we know that uh, the Cardinals like to really use uh, uh, their rookie running back, David Johnson, out of the backfield, and this is going to be a week where he's not going to be open a whole lot because you you got Thomas Davis and you got Luke Keekly patrolling Mm -hmm. in the middle. It's going to be a lot harder for them to use him in the passing game. But on the outside, man, it could get ugly. Look, Kirk Coleman got roasted. He's not a guy with a whole lot of speed. He's a guy that can make some plays. We have to throw the ball fast, but if that pass rush can't get there and Carson Palmer can push the ball down the field, it could be trouble for that Panthers' defense. Now, on the other side of the football, we know that the Cardinals' defense is made to rush the passer and make plays against the pass. Their secondary is outstanding. And uh, co- uh, conversely, the Panthers don't have a whole lot of, of options in their passing game. Ted Ginn can get down the field. That's about all he's going to do. And it's going to be cold, so I'm not sure how you know a, a viable uh, a option he'll be as a deep ball guy when it's 30 degrees or below mm-hmm. uh, in Carolina this weekend. Uh, Greg Olson, their tight end, is pretty much their number one target. He was hurt a little bit last week. <laughs> Cam Chancellor just about took his head off. So, <laughs> you know, how healthy will he be? But, but, before they can get to rushing Cam Newton and, and trying to, you know, make it hard on him to, to complete passes, will they be able to stop the run? I'm not sure. Especially if, and I think they will, if the Panthers get Cam more involved in running the football. I think last week he actually had the lowest uh, rushing total of his career of running really? the football. Because yeah. they, they didn't run him much. And then in the second half, obviously, they were trying to, kind of protect guys and keep guys healthy, they don't really run them on a whole lot of uh, 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 running plays. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if it's me and I'm the Panthers, he's going to be featured prominently early and often in the run game because I don't think they can account for them. for all of their matchup prowess with, you know, they got the one safety that plays linebacker and stuff like that, that's great if a team is going to throw the ball a lot. But when they come downhill and run the football right at his little ass, look, (laughs) I don't know if if Johnson's going to be able to stand in there and really play linebacker like he's lining up at linebacker. So if it's me, I'm not going to, if I can, I'm not going to see if you can rush Cam Newton and if you can cover Ted Ginn and Corey Brown on the outside and, and Greg Olson. I'm going to see if you can stop this Uh, counter of elf coming right at you. I'm going to see if you can stop this read option. I'm going to see if you can stop this uh, 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 ISO right at your weak side linebacker. And I'm going to keep on seeing the whole game until I wear your ass out. So that's the contrast in style. I think the Cardinals have to come out chunking the football, throwing it up and down the field, getting them to back off, and then maybe trying to run the football that way. I think the Panthers have to come out pounding the rock, over and over and over again. And it's going to come down to a battle of wheels. Which style of football is going to win this game? You would think the hard-nosed downhill running is going to win out in the colder conditions, and then plus the Panthers are at home, but you just never know. You talked about those field conditions. Listen, those seal conditions <laughs> kind of turned in Seattle's favor in the second half when the Panthers really couldn't cover anybody all of a sudden. So way more talented across the board. I'm saying wide receivers for the Cardinals, way more uh, 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 dangerous uh, uh, skill position guys. And you got Robert McClain out there who, look, might not be able to cover me if I go on the deep route. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just saying we're going to see which style of football is going to win out in this game, and I, I, I honestly I picked the Panthers, but I could definitely see it going the other way as well. Which game was harder for you guys to pick?
2: I think the NFC game was harder for me to pick. Me too. But they're both tough. I mean, they're I mean, they're, they're both one two, you know. Yeah. When was the last time the the all four teams were the top seeds? Was that like two thousand four or something?
0: Ah, uh, it seems like it's been a minute. I, I think I,
2: I think I saw two thousand four, but I could be wrong about that.
0: I wouldn't be surprised. It seems like, you know, they're usually good. Like, even a wild card sneaks in there every now, you know, pretty regularly.
2: I think Larry Fitzgerald's going to have a big game. Kind of what Steven was talking about. And, you know, because he's lining up in the slot a lot. They're not going to have Josh Norman follow him around too much. Or uh, probably, anyway. And and, um, so I think Larry Fitz is going to have a big game. Cortland Finnegan's probably going to have his hands full with that.
0: Well, then they can, with him in the sl- I don't know, they can probably put Keekley on Fitzgerald some and not, I mean. Which
2: will, yeah, that'll be cool. I mean, that'll be fun to watch that too. Because at least you
0: match him physical for physical, you know what I mean?
2: Mm-hmm. Keekley made an amazing play in that last game against the Seahawks where he kind of dropped into the deep, like, uh, down the sideline. They threw like kind of like a uh, deep out to Doug Baldwin, and Keekley like, tracked it all the way to the sideline and knocked it out of his hands. It was amazing. That guy is so good.
3: Yeah, he
0: really is. I mean, and I mean, he gets attention. It's not like he's nobody's ever heard of the guy or, or anything, but you know, just for the fact he doesn't he doesn't get a lot of sacks. He doesn't get a lot of interceptions, so he just he never kind of bubbles up in that. Yeah. You know the the highlight reels that you see on Monday mornings all throughout the season so regularly. So it's kind of you know it's interesting for that he's his career has been interesting to follow for that respect too but i'm looking forward to these games i mean i think they're going to be good you know i I think whoever comes out of the afc and nfc i think we're in a good situation because it's going to make for an interesting super bowl too you know what i mean absolutely and after sitting through some boring super bowls it's always nice when there's an exciting one (laughs) as a child of the 90s who lived through all those 90s super bowls it's nice when we get the, the more exciting ones even if it does doesn't always end the way we want it to, end. sorry, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm not trying to pick on you for the Seahawks, Dan. I'm, I'm not trying to pick on the Seahawks.
2: Can we not talk about last year's <laughs> Super Bowl, please?
0: <laughs> Obviously, my longtime L.A. Rams roots are showing through here. <laughs> um. All right. Well, it's a good we've we've got a good week of football at the very least, and we've got uh we've only got three more games left this season, so crazy um, we're it's get. we're gonna i'm kind of ready for the season to be over but at the same time it's always one of those bittersweets. i'm gonna miss it when it's gone because
2: what do we do on sundays now? Void.
0: yeah exactly <laughs> communicate like not watch 12 hours of football it's gonna be weird yeah <laughs> i think I, pre- I think i'll adjust but you know it'll be a transition to say the <laughs> least all right guys uh well that's been good we've got a good show in the books here and uh, I, I think I think our listeners are going to be real real happy with this one. So um, if not, hey, you can hit us up on Twitter and, and bitch and moan about us. We we love we love your interactions. We <laughs> really do. So uh, all right, um, guys, let's uh, let's enjoy the games this week and reconvene uh, for some more podcasting next week. And we can be we'll be talking about a Super Bowl.
1: Sounds good. Sounds great. All right.
0: Then we will uh, call the show. All right, guys. Um, cool. I will. I got a couple things. I'll shoot you an email this afternoon, and uh, we'll keep moving forward.
2: Sounds good. I'll send the Greg Olson thing over later today, too. All right, cool. Word.
0: All right, later, dudes.
2: All right, later, guys. ...whether they should have uh osweiler in there or not but but yeah i i think uh it's a really interesting matchup because it's strength on strength and and what we'll get from uh, manning might actually end up being kind of the difference
0: yeah for sure and it'll be interesting to see that play there's a lot of a lot of question marks for that game i think more so than really mm-hmm. any of the others it's, it's kind of the – it's the exact opposite of like the Seahawks-Panthers game where it just looks like everyone is ready for a thorough – to hand out a thorough ass-kicking on both sides of the right. ball for each team. So it'll be, a, it'll, be, it'll be a good Sunday, a good Saturday of football. We got, a, we got some games and then we'll be ready for the, 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 the conference championships and Ooh. then we're two weeks away from the big Super Bowl. <laughs>
3: it's crazy.
0: If you had to pick right now. Out of the four teams in each conference left, what would be your top Super Bowl matchup? Starting I'll start with you, Steven. Say that again? All right, you have, if you had to pick out of the four, you know, the teams and the teams that are left, what do you think the most interesting Super Bowl matchup would be?
1: Um the most interesting? Let's see.
0: Like if you could pick the Super Bowl matchup that you'd want to see the most from the teams that are left?
1: Hmm. That is a tough question. The, the, the AFC is really the tough one for me. I, I want to see the Panthers in the, in the Super Bowl, quite honestly, just because they're an old-school team with the, yeah. the kind of uh, player at quarterback that we have never seen before. And so I want to really see if he can win a Super Bowl with Ted Ginn Jr. He might go down as the greatest quarterback ever <laughs> if he pulls that off. And I'm, I'm only being half facetious there. But uh, the, the, the AFC is harder to pick because of the injuries. If, if Big Ben was healthy and Antonio Brown is healthy, then yeah. you know I kind of want to see what they could do. But they're not. You got a, 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 a tremendous defense in Denver. But do I really want to see Hayden Manning get battered again in the Super Bowl? Because, again, <laughs> his arm isn't really all that healthy either. No. Uh, i like to see the Chiefs and their defense, but Alex Smiths. You know, yeah. is he gonna keep pushing the ball down the field like he's been? Jeremy Macklin's hurt. And then, you know, the, the Patriots, uh, they always got something going on. Guys smoking K2, now some, you know, <laughs> drunk might knee might be hurt. <laughs> it's just always something with them. <laughs> but but I would say this. The most um hmm, how can I put this? the most social media meltdown potential <laughs> would come from a Patriots Panthers Super Bowl oh. where Cam Newton outplays Tom Brady to win the championship. Oh yeah. Like that would be so glorious on Twitter because look, I just said something complimentary of Cam, didn't even mention uh Tom Brady at all or allude to him, and I got all these angry tweets from uh Patriots fans how dare you, you know, <laughs> say that he's an MVP candidate? Not a candidate now. I just said he was a, a candidate. And, and they just went on. And so that would be such a, just a glorious day on social media in, in general. It, we might not see another day like that again ever if it were to happen.
0: Oh, no. Can you imagine the
1: text? If Cam Newton <laughs>
0: won the Super Bowl, how – That'd be the worst summer ever because we just be <laughs> first take and Skip Bayless and and what's his face just going on and on and on and on and on and on. But yeah, Danny, your Super Bowl
2: man. Well, I mean, obviously, I uh, I would personally like to see a Seahawks Patriots rematch. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder but, why. Um, but I uh, have uh, other reasons for that. I think the I personally. Think if the Seahawks are going to not make it, and that that would mean I have no real rooting interest in it. Uh, I think it would be fun to see the Cardinals play the Patriots. Um, and if that wouldn't happen, I, I would probably be a close second. Would be cardinals Steelers, and you know, Seattle fans are going to be mad at me for thinking that this it'd be fun to see the Steelers in the Super Bowl. But um, I don't know. I just think in terms of if they could, like, if the Steelers could get healthy. I just love the uh, I love their receivers. I think they're a lot of fun to watch. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of entertainment value there in, in terms of uh, like I like Tomlin and and just I think the Steelers are historical uh, program. So I think you know going in, I think those would be good matchups. I think you're looking at two high flying teams, two two teams that love to push the ball downfield. Um, you know, I. I am a fan of the Cardinals because I just think that they play ballsy. I think that their coach, they, they kind of take the, the personality, they take on the personality of Arians and they're all kind of just like chip on their shoulder. Like we don't give a shit what you think, like this is us. And um, I personally would like to see Larry Fitzgerald get back to the Super Bowl, um, And, you know, I just, I, I think that would be a fun matchup. What about
0: you, Ryan? Um, uh, me? I I don't have an opinion. I, oh, I, you're not allowed. I can't. I'm not allowed. No, I, you know, <laughs> I, I definitely. I mean, I love the Panthers. I mean, it's hard not to root for Cam Newton. He's just, you know, he's playing out of his mind this year. It might be one of the better quarterback performances uh, seasons I can remember in in my time of um, in my many many years on earth. <laughs> um, and then from the AFC, I don't know. They, I'm kind of like you. See, the AFC is tough to tough to say. I guess. I guess I'd say the Chiefs because that's that's Missouri's team now. <laughs> so uh, you know we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. but um it should be good. We'll have good games and uh, we'll have a lot to talk about next week on the uh, the podcast, and maybe we'll even have some more hot takes on the coaching front. All right, guys, Uh, I I think that's a good place to wrap it up. It's been a good show, and uh, let's, let's watch some football and reconvene next week, shall we?
1: Sounds good. Yes, we shall.